people, welcome to episode 44 of Misfits. This is where I speak to the rebels, the outliers, and unconventionals. I try to see things how they see it and to learn from them. Some of these people include Betty Lee. At the age of 60, did a first solo around the world travel for an entire year, taking soon who's architect behind the first multi-story residential shopping mall in Singapore. Derek Sivers, and a whole lot more. This episode, we have Nate Green. He's an author, marketing strategies at Precision Nutrition, Precision Nutrition, and a recovering fitness junkie. So Nate barely graduated high school with a 1.7 GPA, but despite our odds, he became one of the most sought-after writers and strategies in the fitness industry. Nate also wrote one of the most popular blog posts on Tim Ferriss' blog, The Extreme Weight Cutting Secrets of UFC Fighters. In this conversation, we spoke about when it's time to be alone, how to make celebrities friends, the 80-20 guide to be good at marketing. And so without further ado, I really hope you enjoy this episode with Nate Green. A good place to start off uh, for the conversation, which is kind of a weird place, is um, there's a tattoo on your left foot, a big tattoo with a globe on it. I'm not sure if it's still there, but it's quite oh, a yeah. big one. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. I I don't know the story. Um, let me know. Well, why do you have a gigantic tattoo on your left foot? Okay. Well, I'll tell you uh, three stories, and they'll be short. The first tattoo uh, I got when I was 22, I think, um, and it's Atlas. Uh, so the God Atlas, uh, and so he's carrying the globe or carrying the world on his shoulders and it's on my left, uh, lower leg. Like you said, it goes from like my ankle to like, uh, kind of below my knee. And I mean, honestly, at that point, I don't know what kind of decisions you made when you're 22, but I just wanted to get a tattoo. I thought that was cool. And so I got it. There was like zero story to that. And then I think I retroactively tried to give it meaning like, oh, I'm carrying the weight of the world on my shoulders or some kind of like, woe is me. I'm, you know, I've struggled and uh, I'm going to persevere. But legitimately, man, it was just, I was 22 and I wanted a tattoo and I thought I looked cool. That's it. So then fast forward, um, I'm 35 now. And about two years ago, I got another tattoo uh, on my left wrist and it says, uh, last time. And for me, this one actually (laughs) meant something. And, uh, I think through my meditation practice and through just, um, having a close friend die uh, a few years ago and kind of seeing the impermanence of, uh, everything from mental states to world events to everything, um, there just comes this point when you're going to do something for the last time. I was actually listening to a, a podcast with a, a really cool guy, Sam Harris. He's uh, a philosopher. Um, he's got a great podcast called Making Sense. And he was interviewing uh, a guy named Frank Ostaseski. I think that's his last name, who's a, a Buddhist teacher um, and a counselor, a grief counselor. Um, and the preamble to that podcast is Sam said something like, you know, no matter how many times you do something, there's going to come a time when you do it for the last time and you never know when that's going to be. And I just thought that was a really, it just hit me right in the heart. And it felt like that's a reminder that I want to kind of have. And so I was in new Orleans with my best friend, Jason, we were there for just a week 
hanging out with each other. And the day we left, like three hours before we had to go to the airport, I went to this cool tattoo shop and just got last time put on my wrist. And then I have one more tattoo and it's on my other wrist and uh, it's in cursive and it says, let go. If you can even see it. Um, I got this when I was in Chiang Mai in 2018 and I got it. uh, It's the traditional um, uh, tattoo. They use a needle point and they do the, it hurt like a motherfucker. Am I allowed to curse on this? (laughs) I already did. Okay, cool. Anyway, it hurt. It was weird. And the the dude had so much precision to be able to like you do cursive and write in a language that wasn't his first language. Um, and let let go is just another like I, I heard this meditation teacher speak. Uh, his name is Joseph Goldstein, and he said the path is always about letting go. And the path can be your life or whatever it is, but let go to me just simply means um, try to let go of personal will and see what happens like let kind of dissolve into the flow state and there's no reason to hold on to anything and uh, so those two tattoos on my wrist definitely mean more than the one on my leg even though they're very small and the one on my leg is gigantic and I totally forget about it all the time so there's my there's my long ass answer to your question that's right. You don't see the one that on your leg. For, for people who are getting tattoos out there, if you want a tattoo as a reminder, please put it front and center so you can see it. Uh, unless if you don't want to see it, then you, then you forget about it and put it behind you. I'm going to put it on my forehead backwards. So whenever I look in the mirror, I'll just see something. Um, it's funny, though, because I, I, I got these tattoos and I, I actually I, I really like them. And then you get kind of used to them and then they kind of they kind of rub off, right? Like you, then you kind of they become they become kind of like the furniture. Um, you just like you just get so used to it that they kind of lose their meaning. But my thought was, if once a year I look at my wrist and just spontaneously um, when I'm lying in bed next to my wife and it's a Saturday morning and we're drinking coffee and I have my arm around her and I glance at my wrist. And I see last time, it just infuses that moment with so much clarity and love that it's worth it. And so that's that's the reminder that I have now. And so I'm kind of used to them now and I forget I have them, but they're still very important on some level. Yeah, and I'm not sure if I got the timeline right, um, but along the way, you wrote a piece on Men's Health magazine uh, on this e- uh, event called the Every Man uh, Retreat, where you attended and experienced and wrote about it. Uh, is it about the same time you got those tattoos, or like right after? Is that what it is? No, it's good. It's kind of it was in the middle of them. So I got the last time um, in two thousand and. I want to say 16 or 17 and I wrote I did the everyman retreat which was a retreat it was a men's retreat in Yellowstone National Park in Montana and Wyoming um and I wrote yeah I went there as a journalist for men's health um and we can talk about that because I'm sure I know you have some questions about that and I'm excited to talk about that but then yeah that was in July of 2000 that was in July of 2018 and then I got this tat, the let go tattoo, uh, in October or November of 2018 when I was in Thailand. So it was all kind of, yeah, in the middle. Do you want to share, uh, well, this, uh, every man retreat, what is it about and why it's important 
I heard about this guy, Dan Doty, on Joe Rogan on his, his podcast, and uh, he lived in Bozeman, Montana at the time. Uh, Dan did. And I am in Missoula, Montana, and I was like, shit, Bozeman's just a three-hour drive. And on the podcast, um, Dan and Joe were just talking about how men have a hard time connecting with their own emotions. Um, and not in some kind of, I mean, not only in just some kind of like vulnerable, lovey-dovey way, but like a lot of guys don't seem to be able to have the capacity to access how they actually feel in any moment. And so they're not really engaging with reality as it is. They're kind of telling themselves a story about why they're angry or why they're sad or why they're withdrawn, or they may not even notice the way that they're being in the world. And it's because they're just not comfortable, haven't been taught, haven't had experience of connecting with their emotions. And I related to that on some level too. I feel like I'm kind of an open book. I'm very candid, but it's difficult to be open with other people and totally vulnerable and totally selfless and not trying to protect yourself, you know, psychologically uh, when you're in a conversation. And so I was listening to Dan and Joe talk about it on Joe's podcast. And they mentioned, Dan mentioned that he does wilderness retreats and uh, he, he started this, this company called Everyman. And I was just forming a relationship with the editors at Men's Health. Um, I, I'd written for them before, but this was the first time that I wanted to start writing feature pieces and to do more journalistic kind of uh, experiential writing as opposed to health and fitness stuff, which is what I've used, used to contribute to Men's Health was articles on squats and biceps and things like that. So I drove to uh, Bozeman to meet with Dan, and I asked if I could come on this next excursion with him. They were going to have men from all over the country, um, different backgrounds, uh, different life experiences. And we were going to go out into the woods for like five days and just talk to each other. And uh, he agreed, but he said, you can't just come in as a journalist. You got to jump into the fire with the rest of us. Like You got to jump into the shit with the rest of us and actually engage. And so it was a really beautiful opportunity to have this experience myself and see how it transformed all the guys that I was with, too, and then be able to come back out and, and write something. It was, the, it was the most challenging piece of writing I've ever done in terms of I wanted to, like, I wanted to write the shit out of it. That's just the best way to put it. I, just wanted, I used to read Esquire magazine and, and The New Yorker. And I just wanted to write something that was like at that caliber to the best of my ability. And uh, it was a really the experience itself we can talk about. Um, uh, there's a lot to talk about with the experience and uh, we should get into that if you want to. But the what was cool for, about it for me is like I'm getting <laughs> as I get older, which sounds like a cliche to say that, but it's true. As I get older, I'm just really focused on doing work and spending time on things that really add value to my life or that can potentially add value to someone else's life. And so that was actually the first and last piece of writing, feature piece of writing I've done for the magazine in the last, uh, it's been two years. And it's just because nothing else has really spoken to me yet on that level to dedicate months to doing something going through an experience and then writing about it so the, the whole process was really 
uh, rewarding and, and beautiful for me. Wow. Um, yeah, I don't know where should we go um, with this. I think maybe a place to start would be when um, when was when would it be beneficial for someone to attend this sort of retreat? Um, yeah. And because I'm thinking in my head where maybe sometimes it's actually good that you um, t- tune down and not be open, right? In some situation. And, and, and this got me thinking about the days of Viktor Frankl's book, Man's Search for Meaning, where he's in a concentration camp and people dying in front of him. And in order to survive and move on, you almost have to be uh, uh, closed up or, or not be open to everything. So uh, maybe you can speak to that. Yeah, so I look at it as... In my experience, they're not separate. Um, they're very interconnected. Uh, solitude and, inter- and and connection. Like I don't think you can get away from either of them. And the fa- the the thought or the act of separating them, I think, is an illusion. Um, I feel like there are times like we're so all interconnected anyway that there is never a time that we're not affecting other people or being interconnected. Even if we're alone in our room, we're still in some way connected to society, right? And so the way that I look at it is there's obviously a time for complete solitude and being alone in the in the in the sense of the word. Like I don't know if you want to call it re- retreating into yourself, that kind of has a negative connotation. The way that I like to think about it is uh I mean you you have a quite you sent me a list of questions before this and I'm just gonna cherry pick some stuff. But um, when I went to Chiang Mai in 2018, uh, when I got the the tattoo, that was me going into what I called monk mode, and I just took a month of not really talking to anyone. I just spent time by myself, meditating, reading, doing some writing, um, and then just the normal everyday stuff of life, like walking around Chiang Mai. Uh, eating food. And that was a beautiful time for me because it was this opportunity to distance myself from my patterns and distance myself from the world in a sense, in a way that gave me better perspective of my place in it and how I wanted to kind of re-enter once this monk mode experiment was kind of done. Um, and then the everyman thing, I mean, that w- that happened, you know, earlier that year, a few months before. And that was a beautiful time because being connected with all these guys and being being vulnerable myself and, and, and what that means, vulnerability for me is just like not protecting my ego, just full on and not, not just being candid or being a dick or, or being, you know, emotional. It's just saying what is true from my experience. And that was a cathartic, uh, amazing week with those guys because I got access to parts of myself that I don't think I would have had access to if I weren't in relationship to another person or a group of people. And so it's like it pulled something out of me. It's like, I mean, there's a reason that you have monks, like Buddhist monks or or, one, or whatever you want to say, like whatever uh, religion or discipline. There's a reason you have monks. Um, 
And there's a reason that you have people who have a spiritual practice who are also in relationship. I mean, both are challenging. Both, I mean, to be secluded or to be a monk and to have taken a vow of chastity or silence or whatever is uh, a demanding thing. And it's, it's uh, in its own right, it, it, it leads to, it can lead to wisdom, right? But so can being in relationship with the world and with people and having a, a, a basic, you know, ordinary kind of life because you're also going to be challenged and triggered and um, put on the spot. And that's also challenging. You can learn a lot. So I feel like it's this interplay between both. And so I guess to answer your question more directly, um, which is like, how do you decide when you're ready for it? I would just say that you, you kind of know when you know. But if if it scares, I'd say this, if it scares you more to do one thing over the other, if it scares you to be um, in a some kind of group retreat or some kind of uh, experience where you're with other people and connecting on that deep of a human level, then that probably means uh, it's time to to go experiment with it and try it for a while. Because I feel like for myself, at least, I've always retreated back to the things that make me comfortable and there's a place for that, uh, for sure. But um, as soon as you start to get comfortable, then it becomes fun to to challenge that and to see how can I maintain how can I maintain a healthy, open state of mind no matter what is happening and who I'm with and what I'm doing. Okay. Um, what are the tools you took away from that experience uh, that you still use today? Mm. I'm trying to think about if there were any specific tools. I think there it was less tools and I guess more yeah, it was more practices. It was it was it was more of like it was more of a Okay, here's what I took away from it is that everyone is just everyone's trying to do their best. Everyone is suffering on some level. And the the realization of that that i'm not alone in the world and that all the problems that i think i have they're still problems and they can be true because they're in my experience but other people have similar if not you know more or less problems too that they're dealing with and so on some level that retreat just showed me we're all in this together uh everyone's dealing with shit and so I didn't take away a tool or like a, a tactic from it, but I took away a different, I, I view, I view reality. Yeah. I view reality just a little bit differently now because I just feel like I'm, it, it made me more open and more, I'll, I'll say this too. What it's also done for me is it, it, that experience kind of allowed me to kind of peel back some layers. And so when someone, when I meet someone now, I'm not saying that this happens all the time, but when I meet someone now, it kind of goes beyond the surface. And I think about how they're presenting themselves in the world and the stories that they're telling themselves. Cause I do the same thing. I have a story I tell myself about how I want to be on this interview with you and how I want to come across and et cetera, et cetera. Um, but if you go back and you go deeper 
you realize that everyone's just trying to do their best and everyone's a little scared and unknown. Like we don't know what, I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't even know what I'm going to say next. I don't know what you're going to ask next, but it's this, this willingness to be open and vulnerable no matter what. And that's what I got from the experience is seeing that everyone's in that same situation. Mm. And, and do you think, do you think that there are any tools that people can use, um, to develop this sort of, um, um, relationship and connection uh, that you took that you know uh, Dolly have uh, presented in the retreat. Yeah, no, this so um, all right. So they taught us a process, and I totally forgot the process. So I'm going to try to remember it, and at the same time, probably fabricate it a little bit. But I think I'll be close. Um, yeah, okay. Here's something that everyone can do. Uh, just as you're sitting, feel what it's like. To be you right now, like actually connect with the emotions that you have. And I feel like I, I feel like the three steps, uh, I think there were three steps that they that they had. One, I think, was slow down because we're always so, you know, fast moving minds, um, always trying to get things done, uh, especially people that are kind of uh, type A driven, ambitious, optimistic, uh, which try to accomplish a lot of things. And the instruction at first is just to slow down, just slow down and actually like you're in a, you, you have a body and it's sitting on a chair and it feels things. What would it be like to feel those things? And on one level, this is kind of a meditation exercise, but really what it is, is you're, you're basically saying yes to your experience and you're not trying to overlay it with a bunch of thoughts. It's like, you're really trying to come back into your body and go, okay, what is it like to be me right now? And the beautiful thing about that is as soon as you're willing, and that, that's a radical act because it's kind of scary because I feel like living a human life is very uh, traumatic on some level. There's just a lot of sensations and things happening all the time, right? Like my shoulder hurts. I'm nervous about the interview. Um, I'm thinking about what I'm going to do later today. I'm thinking about, I mean, this isn't, totally true right now an argument i had in the past there's like all these things that are happening and if i can just sit down right now and feel what i'm feeling that is a huge step because the, then it allows me to feel what you're feeling and it just puts us on this different wavelength where we're connecting more directly as opposed to just up here thinking it's it's a more direct connection to our actual experience and that uh that's a beautiful thing because it becomes true self-knowledge. Yeah. So, so yeah. you're, you're saying that's three steps and, and step one is to breathe and then step two, uh, did it all come in? I forgot the damn steps, man. Let's just be honest. I think, I think step, step one was slow down. Step two was feel. Step three, I don't remember. Maybe accept. I don't remember what it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so I want to switch gear a little bit um, 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 from what you describe yourself on the internet, saying that you're a writer, fitness expert, and a person. Um, and that's probably what most people know about you, right? So I'm curious if I were to call up one of your closest friends, say Jason, and ask him, you know, what is Nate's um, superpower? You know, what do you think he would say? Man, superpower. Um... I think you would say making connections and uh, <laughs> I, 
I don't know if he would call this or anyone would call this a superpower, but um, it, this has been this has worked very well for me and then very poorly at the same time. It's a double-edged sword. But my ability to burn things down and start fresh, if needed, like I'm totally fine, totally switching gears and changing everything in my life, uh, if it will help me get to the place where I think I want to go. Now this is. This has been beautiful in a lot of ways like this is and I think my close friends would say that's a superpower because it's allowed me to take action on a lot of opportunities that maybe other people wouldn't have jumped on because they're probably a little bit more cautious than me, um, which is probably very good on some level. Um, So my risk taking is very high and that's led to some really good experiences. And as you can imagine, like having higher risk taking and not being that cautious leads to a lot of stupid situations I put myself into. So that's the self-knowledge I'm I'm talking about also is uh, how do you, here's the trick, Brian, how do you use your superpower for good and then recognize when it's actually being harmful to yourself and others? And that's the, that's the work. I think that's the constant work I'm, I'm doing right now. Right. Contextual. It's all about context, isn't it? Um, do you want to give an, give a bad example? I think bad example makes good story. Give a bad example. Yeah. Of how that's Um, a power. Yeah. Yeah. All right. This is a, I mean, this is just the example that came to mind right away. Um, like, and, and, and I'm glad that it happened, but at the time it was kind of stupid when I was, I would say maybe like seven years ago. Um, I had a Facebook page with, uh, like something like, it was small at the oh, small. I mean, that's all context. It was it had like eight thousand people on it, and it was like a marketing channel, right? I had eight thousand followers or fans or whatever you want to say. And um, at that point, I was still consulting with other companies, but I was trying to figure out, you know, continuing to figure out ways to like make money on my own. And so, whether that was selling coaching or selling products or books or whatever, it was smart to have an audience. Um, but I've never really connected with social media. I'm not a huge fan of it. I don't like I don't like the way it makes me feel. And I and I learned like after having this Facebook page that I was feeling obligated to post stuff on it um, and to present myself a certain way. And I had to come up with content ideas to share with people. And it just started to all feel fake and fabricated. And so I just deleted the page. <laughs> so which is which is. It took care of the problem, which was, you know, I don't want to be on Facebook all the time. And I think it's, you know, I I understand the value, but I I just don't want to I just don't really want it in my life that much. But it was a stupid decision on one level because I just cut myself off from like 8000 potential uh, customers, uh, people that I could have positively affected, people I could have connected to and reached out to. And I just fucking deleted it. So. That's what I'm talking about. It's like, and it did make my life better. It was really nice not to ha- have Facebook. Um, it's why I don't have an Instagram. It's why my Twitter is like, I barely talk about it or update it at all. I'm like never on there. Um, but that, yeah, that's a, that's a good, that's a good example. It's like, I am totally fine taking massive action on something that I believe is right. However, I don't always think about the repercussions or the consequences of that. And that's why this is another topic, but that's why I think it's incredibly important to partner with people in your life, whether they're friends, coworkers, uh, 
significant others, like in a relationship, like a romantic relationship, you want to partner with others that uh, are the opposite of what you are, because then they're going to help you with all of your blind spots. And so Jason and uh, my wife and um, my coworkers at Precision Nutrition, um, they all have a different skill set and a way of being in the world than I do. And as you know, dealing with talking or interacting with someone who's different than you can be challenging because you don't see things the same way, but it's also the smartest fucking thing you can do because you don't see things the same way. So yeah, that's a good, that's an example. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I think it's, I think it also helps if they have proven, they have proven track record that their way of thinking have got them results. Uh, It's easier pill to swallow. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, so you spoke about one of the, the superpowers, which is connection. And as I go about doing my research, it seems like you have a very different approach of making connection, making friends. Uh, I wonder if you could share the story of how you got to know Joshua from The Minimalist. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good one. Um, so before I tell you that story, um, I'll say that I think about connections a little bit differently now. Um, when I was just starting off in my career, I would give gifts, uh, like like physical gifts sometimes, or like just just words of like like thank you, like just just I wanted people to know the impact they had on me. So a lot of my first mentors, um, and this was back when I was this was back maybe 15 years ago now almost. Um, I would go to a, like a conference and I would take a couple of, I, w- I would figure out who was going to be there that I wanted to meet. And then I would, um, pick a book or something that meant something to me. And I would find a way to, this was, this was someone that like you would say would have higher status than me. So this was someone that I, you know, I'd want to meet and, uh, have some kind of connection with. And so I would, find them and they would be aligned to meet them usually. And people were taking photos and all that stuff. And I would never approach as a fan. I always tried to approach as an equal, whatever that means. I just, I didn't want to become across as a fanboy. And so I thanked them for their work, uh, and the effect it had on me, but then I gave them something like, thank you for all the, all, all the things that you've done for me that you didn't even know just by reading your work or hearing your words or whatever. And then I would give them a book that meant something to me. And, then I wouldn't ask for a photo. I wouldn't, I, I would know when to leave. And if I saw them again later on, I'd strike up a conversation with them. And what tended to happen is people just saw the sincerity and I, I didn't come across as desperate or like I really needed that be, them to be my friend. It was more of just like a, Hey, we're in the same place right now. And I just wanted to acknowledge you. And that sometimes led to really good mentorships and friendships. We'd exchange contact information And then whenever they would, if I asked for advice and they told me something to do, I would try it and do it. And then I would come back to them with results. Like, you know, you told me to do this a month ago. I did it. Here's what happened. What do you think I should do next? And so that's, especially early in my career, kind of how I built my, my network, if you want to call it that. Um, it's a little bit different for friendships now, but anyway, with Joshua from the minimalists, uh, Joshua is a great guy. And, um, he, for whatever reason, a few years ago, was also living in Missoula, Montana. Him and Ryan, his uh, friend and uh, business partner, 
they run the minimalist together. They were in Montana living here. And I used to just see him at the coffee shop all the time, at the same coffee shop I went to. And he didn't know who I was. And, you know, I know who he, who he was because of the podcast and the movie and all that kind of stuff. And um, I had liked his writing and I thought it was great. And so I told him that one time just when we were in line getting coffee. And you know, I said, I'm a writer also. And I just, you know, I know how difficult it is to put creative things out there. And I just think you're doing great work. Uh and he said, oh, thanks, man. And then, you know, that was it. And then later on, I uh, went back up to the counter and I bought a, I think it was like a $50 coffee card. And I just gave them the money. They gave me the coffee card. And then I said, hey, the next time he comes in, can you just give this to Josh and just let him know, let him know it's from me? Um, and I, I think I wrote a note like, hey, like, hope this fuels your writing sessions or whatever. And I left my name and my email address. And so he emailed me. Um, a couple days later, we went out for lunch or whatever. And then that actually started a genuine friendship because then we got to see that we're doing kind of similar work and we know some of the same people. And, uh, yeah, so now I've like, you know, gone to LA where he lives now a couple of times and I consider him a, a good friend. And, uh, yeah, so that's, that's a bit of an odd story though, about like a, someone that I've met that's a friend. I have, I have friends now who don't, I mean, I have friends now that aren't in the public sphere. Right, 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 right. What's that? Sorry. Well, I think the starting point don't matter so much. And for me, the reason why I picked the story is to, to show how much of um, um, things people are doing wrong, actually, uh, when you do want to make friends. And I, I thought that the story is just interesting. I mean, it doesn't, it, it, the coffee cup doesn't matter, right? It is instead of like, say, for example, hey, Nate, I, I want to meet you. And fanboying, you say, hey, Nate, uh, uh, I actually want to pay, pay you for your time because uh, I respect your time. Yeah. And, 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 right? And then, and then go and be serious and ask some questions that uh, are actually uh, why you want to uh, meet them. And I mean, what's the point of just, you know, going up and, and oh, you know, I'm just going to be here and take some photos, Nate. <laughs> yeah. Well, and people, what people get the wrong idea, too, is they, what they want to do is, like, if you ever go to a conference, and I'm, I'm come from the fitness industry, so I've just, I'll use that as an example. But you can probably relate this to any industry and any, any kind of conference. But back in the day when I go to a fitness conference and I've been this person now too, like you get done speaking and then people like line up to like want to talk to you, which is awesome. It feels, it's very ego gratifying. Um, but what happens is what tends to happen is that like everyone just has questions, uh, for the, for the person that just got off a stage or whatever. And they, they want advice and they want, but like, who are you in that moment? to ask for something from them. They just gave you their time by, you know, by being up on stage and, and, and sharing their work and their experience with you. So who are you to, to ask for something without giving them anything in advance? And that's why, I mean, this is just the, uh, I forget the name of the book now. Maybe it's called Persuasion. Um, ah, shit. I'll think about it. What is it? Robert Caldini. Oh, or- in, yeah, like, influence. How to make friends and influence people. Uh, that is it's called influence. Yeah. Okay. And that's just a, it's just a basic principle. You give something and then you can ask for something. And not that you are, not that you deserve to get something in return. You can give a gift and you cannot have any strings attached to that gift, whether that gift is a compliment or a, or a physical object. Um, 
but that's how it should start. And when I think the point that you made is, is, is wonderful. Like there are lots of times where I've met people, um, this meditation teacher I'm working with now, um, his name is Locke Kelly and he's a great guy and he's popular in the meditation non-dual circles and I wanted to learn from him and I'd read his books and I'd listened to some of his audio and I just emailed him and asked if I could pay for an hour of his time. And, I, and him and I, I wouldn't even say we're friends. I would say he's he's a, a mentor and a kind of teacher to me now and he doesn't teach me for free. I still pay him, <laughs> but now I have access to him and I don't know where that's going to lead, uh, but I'm very happy to pay for his time right now because that's what got me on his radar. And I mean, ultimately, I want him to have a good experience of me and maybe I have things I can help him with. I'm, I'm helping him out with some marketing right now, for instance. And that's how you build a true connection, though, is you you meet people as equals and you like you said, you pay for their time or you give them a gift or whatever. And then and only then are you allowed to ask for something, but you may not even get what you ask for. And so then you have to be totally okay with that happening too. Yeah. Uh, I'm curious to know what is, what are your criteria for your friends these days? Oh yeah. Criteria. Well, I write down a list of criteria. No, I'm kidding. I don't actually do that. Um, I mean, Oh, those, I mean, if you just look at the, the good friends that you have in your life that you want to keep up and nurture those relationships, what do they have in common? Yeah, there, I've had some friendships fall away recently and ones that aren't uh, as strong as they used to be. But I don't see it as I don't see that as a lack of connection. I see it as more of a lack of mutual interest now. And so I'm, I'm becoming more comfortable with relationships changing over time. I think it's kind of ridiculous to think that something is going to be constant and the same throughout your life. So the way that I look at my friendships now, I guess my criteria, if I had to have one, is like, can I actually authentically be myself with this person? And do I feel like they're authentically being themselves with me? And I never want to be in a position where I, I'm pretty... I don't even know where I fall on the introvert extrovert line because it, it just seems like a weird duality to me. I, f I kind of feel like I'm both um, in different situations. But I started to notice that I had a few friends um, who are lovely people and I respect them. But I realized that whenever we got together, like they were so introverted that I was the one performing all the time. I felt like it was a performance. Like I was like we weren't having a conversation. We weren't really connecting. It was just it was like, yeah, I don't know. I feel like I was performing and had to do something. And uh, so I guess the best relationships now are mutual. They're mutual give and take. Like they're, 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 they serve both people. And if you're not getting something out of a relationship, you can still like that person, but you don't have to hang out with them anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can still, if they call you, I have people that like I, I still am – I'm not close with, but I love and respect. And so if they need something from me or they have a question for me or whatever, um, or they want to share something with me, I'm open to it. And I'll do the same with them sometimes. But there's just different categories of people. Like I don't just, I, I, wouldn't, I don't go share everything with those kinds of people. You know what I mean? I know what you're saying. Um, um, I think, I, I wonder if it's a good story, uh, if there's anything to share about uh, how you got the uh, feature piece uh, how you wrote some of the most popular uh, articles for uh, Tim's blog. 
Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. Okay. So and this was back in 2007 or 2008. Uh, the four hour work week just came out and, uh, or maybe it had been out for like six months or a year and I'd read it and I followed Tim's blog and he was a big inspiration for me at that time because I was just, I had my blog that I was starting and I was kind of in a slightly different industry. Um, I don't even know what industry you would call him. It was like self-development, but I was, I was definitely more in the health and fitness industry. And I, uh, the way that I met him is I just, I mean, it was a bit ego based and a bit, uh, calculated, very calculated actually. Um, um, I do not mind admitting it. Uh, so he wrote a blog post about, I don't even remember what it was about fat loss or keto or some kind of health and nutrition topic that I knew something about. And I left a comment on his blog, like, cause he had like all these comments you could leave. Right. And because I'm a copywriter and a marketer, I know how to like, I know how to position things and frame things. And so I started my comment and it sounds weird to say it like this, but I started my comment with, well, as a writer for men's health and men's fitness magazine, I believe blank, blank, blank. So I started it with that little preamble, but what it did is I was trying to signal to him that, look, man, we're kind of on the same level. Like I know what I'm talking about and you can trust me. And yeah, it's social proof, right? That's basically what it was, was social proof. And so I left that comment. And the next day I had an email in my inbox from Tim asking me more questions about things. And so him and I just started an email conversation back and forth. And uh, I think it was like a year or two later, I met him for lunch in San Francisco and we had a good conversation. We talked about writing and blogging and he was just getting ready to uh, uh, release um, the four hour body uh, or no, sorry, he was getting ready to write the four hour body. And uh, he asked if I could introduce him to some people because I was super connected in the fitness industry. I got to introduce him to different people um, and they became some of the basis for the book that he wrote, The 4-Hour Body. And I helped him with some research. And so I basically just started helping him with things without taking any money. And uh, he, in turn, um, would introduce me to people and give me advice because he was a little bit further along on the path. And it turned into, um, I mean, we haven't talked in a while now. Um, we, we texted every now and then for a while back in like five or six years ago. I haven't talked to him in a while, but it was a really cool opportunity for me to like connect with someone who was kind of on this meteoric rise. Um, and I, I, I kind of got to know him a little bit at the beginning of, of that art. Um, and it opened some doors for me too, because then, I mean, he, uh, he gave me a shout out, um, in the four hour body, which was cool. And that just became another thing that opened doors for me because now I could say, you know, um, oh, and I wrote, uh, I actually wrote two pieces for his blog. And one of them I just checked a couple days ago because I'm, I'm now updating my blog. We can talk about that later. Um, but I, I wanted to go find some pieces that I've written um, from different places and, you know, add links to my to my website. And so I went back and looked at this piece that I wrote for him in 2013 and it is the second most popular post on his entire website. And it has been for a long time. And so that made me feel cool. And uh, yeah, so it, it, it's, 
so that was a that was a that was a weird that was a weird cool serendipitous kind of relationship where we never really became close but it was a, a cool opportunity to kind of see what he was working on and to contribute in some way and then to yeah, for sure i mean have, yeah, and, and the relationship is like two years isn't it um like before you actually get to meet him and you know this that the other it just shows that things takes time right oh yeah we emailed back and forth for a while um way before we we met uh, in person we only met in person once for lunch and then i saw him at a conference a couple of times and we talked for just a little bit but that's that's it and so yeah this again just different kinds of relationships too like that was a relationship that opened some other doors for me um but like i would never call tim and like tell him like ask him advice about my relationship i just don't know him that well right so that's it's kind of funny just thinking about all these different people you have in your life and what kind of position they hold and 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 and, and yeah it's, it's it's interesting to think about no for sure um i, I think um you preluded a little bit um to writing and uh, marketing uh, a little back and actually a few weeks back when we were supposed to have the interview you had to reschedule because of your work at uh, precision right so um uh, i understand you have this title uh, at precision but what i want to know is what is what are the actual like maneuver like things you actually do at precision and i think uh, for anyone who is wanting to be a marketing and writing uh, strategies kind of get person uh it'd be kind of cool for you to share your story of how you got there sure um let me tell you what i do for them now and then we can maybe go back in time to talk about kind of how i um got the position to be able to do it um, because then you, I think a lot of the tactics or strategies will come from that. Um, so what I've done for Precision Nutrition, which uh, Precision Nutrition uh, is the world's largest online nutrition coaching company in the world. Um, I don't even know if it's the largest online. It's just the largest nutrition coaching company in the world. Um, so we coach thousands of people every year uh, and take them through body transformation process. And we uh, educate the next generation of health and fitness leaders. And so we have a nutrition certification that's very similar to a personal training certification that you would get um, if you want to become a personal trainer. But this is the nutrition and the behavior change coaching psychology side. Um, and so that's been it's been amazing. I've been working with them for over 10 years now in various capacities as a consultant and an employee, just back and forth. Um, and it was started by my friends, uh, Dr. John Berardi and Phil Caravaggio, just wonderful, wonderful people. So what I do for them now uh, has changed from what I used to do with them uh, for them. But broadly speaking, um, when it's time to launch the nutrition certification, um, when it's time to, to sell that, my job is... How can we go back to the customer research? How can we dig deep into the research of the people that we've already helped, um, interview them, talk with them, find patterns in the way that they talk about their experience, find the words they use? Um, then I go and talk with the product team, the ones, the people that are actually creating the certification, and I'm interviewing them, asking them, what's in this? What will it teach people? What's the benefit of that? And I'm basically just collecting data for a while. And now 
I don't do this as much because the team has grown so much that we have people that actually specialize in data collection, uh, qualitative and quantitative. We have people that follow this interview process, so I don't do it anymore. Um, we have people that aggregate everything. Um, and so what I used to do and what I still do on some level is we would take all this information and we go, okay, this is what the customer wants and this is the problem that they have. This is the problem that they have that we think we know something about that we can help them solve. Here's the solution that we're going to propose. This is the certification. Um, here is what they're going to learn, and here are all the benefits. Now, how do I take all of this and structure it in such a way that it tells a compelling story that meets people exactly where they're at, um, acknowledges all of the things about their life that's going on in terms of the 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 pain that they feel around their, their problem that they have, which is they're not feeling confident enough in themselves to coach nutrition because they don't feel like they understand it on a deep level enough to be able to give nutrition advice to other people. Um, how can I connect that and connect it to their hopes and dreams? What do they really want to accomplish? They really want to make an impact in the world. They really want to feel like they're helping people uh, achieve something great that uh, makes everyone's life better like better health and fitness means better relationships better uh better health obviously um better better life uh so then i come up with this compelling story and then you get into the tactical stuff which is then okay how do we tell this story over a sequence of a certain amount of emails or a certain amount of social media posts or a certain amount of articles how do all of how do the articles connect with the emails, connect with the social media posts and tell the same consistent story. Uh, what stage of the journey is are people on? If we write an email funnel that's seven days, what does each email need to accomplish in terms of uh, opening, like hooking them, opening up a story arc for them, telling them what the program's about? Um, then it just becomes the, the nuts and bolts of marketing, which is... Um, Ultimately, though, how can we let these people know that we have a solution to their problem and that they can trust us and that we're going to help them and take care of them? Yeah. So that's that's basically what I do. And now what I do is we have a, a team of copywriters that are wonderful people and we have uh, product marketing specialists. And so now I still do a lot of I still do quite a bit of writing. Um, I'm still helping come up with campaigns. But my role has changed more recently where I am now kind of mentoring the other people who are doing what I used to do. I'm kind of overseeing people that are doing that. Oh, wow. Interesting. Okay. Huh. Yeah. Uh, interesting. Could you share? <laughs> no, I was just wondering where is a good place to, to, to come yeah. in. Okay, could you share an example of why it's worth the time and effort for the quantitative data and qualitative data and this extensive research process? Do you have a specific example of what you would have done without those data and what you uh, would have done after I mean, that you can share? Well, obviously, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, this is good. Um, so this is an example that John Berardi has used before on stage, so I'm comfortable sharing this. Uh, so... Um, I may get this a little bit wrong, but the, the general sense is here. Um, we, 
so we've had a coaching program uh, for longer than we've had a professional education program. So we've had a coaching program where we take people through um, health and fitness habits uh, and help them transform their body and their health. We've had that for, I don't know, 12 years now, 15 years probably. Um, and we've only had the certification for maybe five or six. Um, the, the numbers may be off. So what happened uh, maybe six years ago, maybe seven years ago, um, we, John Berardi, the co-founder, was on a uh, forum, like a, a health and fitness forum where people would go and write about their experience with whatever. And there was a woman on there who had gone through our year-long 12-month coaching program. And someone had asked if she would recommend it. And she said, you know, I don't feel like the coaches were there for me as much. And I feel like, you know, I, I, no one was really listening to my needs. And I didn't really feel taken care of. Um, I just kind of seemed like a little bit of a burden. So she was frustrated and she goes, so I wouldn't really recommend it, but she lost like 75 pounds <laughs> in the program. So the program worked for her. So she got the result, which was she lost all of the weight that she's never been able to lose before. But what, and so I feel like there are two ways to take that on one level. You can be like, wow, well, screw her. I mean, she got the result. And now she's complaining that, you know, she had a bad experience. That is the wrong way of looking at this because everything is information. The smart way of looking at this and, and what we did is we go, wow, she we apparently did not meet a specific idea or a requirement that she had to make this a good experience for her. We didn't even know that was a thing. Like we know coaching is important, but the stuff that she's bringing up now, she didn't feel taken care of. Um, she felt like the coaches were, uh, didn't, she didn't, didn't feel like she got enough personal attention. Um, those all became very interesting to us. We're like, okay, are people hiring us to get in shape or are they hiring us to get in shape and, build a real human connection and feel taken care of. So what we did is we started, that became this catalyst where we uh, found this, uh, this framework called jobs to be done. Um, and we hired, and it's an interviewing framework that's uh, all about qualitative data. And so it's, you talk to people who have bought your product and you, uh, it's a, it's a specific way of interviewing. It's, it's hard to explain, but people can just Google jobs to be done and they'll find everything. It came out of a Harvard Business School. And uh, jobs to be done is a way of interviewing people. And so what we did is we started taking um, groups of people and then interviewing them one-on-one. -on -one, and there's like this special process you follow. And what what you see at the end of it, when you get to – when you when – you, have done all these interviews and you collect all the data and you put it all together and you look for patterns as you see the real job that they're hiring you to do. We thought the job people were hiring us to do was help them get in better shape. And that's part of it. But there was another job which was uh, make me feel taken care of or give me personal attention, make, make me feel like I'm not alone in this, whatever you want to say. That was another job that we weren't 
we didn't even know was a thing that a lot of people were looking for. And so they couldn't recommend our product fully or feel like they had a great experience because we were only meeting one job and not the full spectrum of who they were as a person. So qualitative data is huge because then what happens is that informs everything. Well, how does the product need to change now to reflect this? Because um, we have a lot of health and fitness information. Obviously, it works on a physiological level. What do we need to put into the program curriculum to make people feel understood? It makes me think of um, um, Growth Hacker, right? Where uh, the marketer are actually working with the engineer, and you know, you are, uh, you know, marketing before was just thinking about how after you have the product out, how do you market it at the best of ability? But Growth Hacking uh, paradigm shift is that no, you actually present the problems and, and change engineering. This is sounds about you're right. Built, yeah, you're, it, it's all interconnected. So like, so the product needs to change. So if you learn something valuable, which we did, so how does now through this framework of like, we're not meeting this one job and it seems to be very important to a big section of our audience, how do we do it? The product needs to be updated and changed. The marketing and the way we talk about it needs to be updated and changed. The way that we interact with these people on social media need to be updated and changed. Um, and so the qualitative thing was so huge for us because I, th I think at the end of the day, marketers forget that they're dealing with people because they see numbers on the screen. They see open rates, click-throughs, um, impressions, and sales, right, and, and, if, and other things. But we forget that these are real human beings on the other side of a computer or the phone um, who have something that they they have a problem that they want to solve and we have the ability to help them so how do we actually connect on a human level with that person and tell stories that they respond to and speak the language that they know and then make it a part of who we are as an organization so that's incredibly important i think what what your story brings up to me is that there's this all this other um sub maneuver of what you know, I never thought about what marketing is, or what most people never thought of what marketing is, right? Um, I wonder, uh, for someone who wants to learn marketing, um, uh, could you speak to what are the biggest time waster, uh, because there's just so much out there, right, that people waste their time in. And then on the flip side to that, uh, if someone wants to be good at marketing, what are, what is the 80-20 over there, like a process, as well as the resources, books, or products, courses uh, that you recommend one to take? Yeah, that's a big question. Um, okay, so here's how I think about it. Uh, this is good though, because it's like, no, no, this is forcing me to, to really get clear. Um, the biggest time waster, in my opinion, is continuing to collect information when you have enough to get started. It's continuing to read articles or books or join courses and not actually do the work. You have to, like, I think Seth Godin talks about this all the time. You have to do the work. You have to have the experience of doing the work and get and get feedback from the marketplace about how you're doing. Whether the marketplace is a blog or whether it's you know a product that you're selling, you actually have to make something and put it out into the world and then see what happens and then use that as a feedback mechanism. So that's that's a scary thing to do because. You feel like you only have a little bit, especially if you're just starting out, you're like, I need to know everything. I can't, I don't have all the information yet. I need to like, like people are, and myself included, we're so worried 
about coming across as stupid or not not good or you know not good at our jobs or we're we're scared to be embarrassed and so we kind of couch our efforts by not putting our full selves out there and it's just a big time waster and a big mistake because you're never going to see if you the things that you're learning you're never going to see if they can actually come into fruition and change people and and make money and 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 change lives if you're just reading stuff all the time so that's the biggest time waster is like not actually taking action on the things and it, it seems like a cliche now everyone's talking about you know do take action and do work um but there's something to be said for it i think it needs to be like probably 20% knowledge gathering and 80% action and then that can change like as you get more experienced um i found that i started reading more and seeing what other people were doing um that's another that's another time waster though it's like it's really smart it's it's really smart to see what other people in your industry are doing um but a big time waster is taking what they're doing and then copying it because you have no idea what the behind the scenes of their business is like you don't know if the email that they wrote or the sales page that they wrote or the product that they're putting out or the way that they're marketing it you have no idea if it's actually smart or not you just see what you see and once you get more experience you can kind of like dig underneath the levels and go okay i see why they're positioning this product this way i see why um they're writing this email this way um but another big time waster is just taking what someone does and then just carbon copy um not terms of good i guess uh uh throw a couple of names and oh i mean i'm not sure if you're gonna do that but <laughs> but i can because, throw names at no no i'm gonna throw names and then you 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 say if you want to stand behind the, uh, what they teach right oh god uh, for marketing wow <laughs> right uh uh oh okay well I, I, well maybe we can cut this out if you know about Ramit Sethi. Oh no, Ramit's amazing. I love Ramit. Um, that's actually one thing I was going to say is, uh, his resources are wonderful. Um, I think everyone that wants to be a copywriter or everyone that has a business where they're, it's a small business and they don't have the money to hire copywriters should take his copywriting course. Um, any of, any of the courses that he has, I think are super high caliber, uh, really well done, heavily researched. And I would, I would encourage people if they buy a product from Ramit, I would go through the product and then I would look at the meta part of it. Like, how did he create, like, why is, if you go through a, a course from Ramit, why is this lesson, this lesson? Why is it called this? Why is it in this sequence? Why didn't it come later? Like, you can really learn a lot by kind of dissecting the process of a really beautiful product. Doesn't mean he copy it. Doesn't mean that they know exactly what they're doing there. But it does mean that they have something figured out and you can learn this is a, I forget the quote, uh, so I'm going to murder it here, um, but it's like, you don't want to do what your mentors or your, inf your the influential people in your life that you look up to, you don't want to do what they do, you want to see how they see. And that's that's an important distinction. But yeah, Ramit's great. I love Ramit. Um, <laughs> I'm almost wary of, I'm almost wary of throwing names and putting people under the bus. Uh, uh, <laughs> but maybe let's just, cause yeah, okay. Well, let's just let's just leave it as that. And if people want to do remit, and then you can do remit. Um, 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 would 
okay, for learning process wise, um, for someone starting from zero, right? What books or, or products, uh, you know, now they talk about time wasters, right? Uh, what, like, you know, the least amount of time um, to learn, to get good at marketing, what, what should he or she do? One, uh, one book that I have on, yeah, one book I have on my shelf that I actually got this from Tim Ferriss was, uh, I think it's called The 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. It may be 23 or 24. I don't remember the exact number, but I think it's 22 Immutable Laws of Marketing. Yeah, that's a beautiful book. Um, it's very succinct, um, uh, short chapters, and they're all based on principles of marketing that have been time-tested since marketing the marketing industry was a thing. Um, another book was one we influ- uh, that we referenced earlier by uh, Cialdini uh, called Influence. I think that's a huge book in terms of the persuasion principles. So like, what are the things that you would need to do in order to persuade someone to take action on something? Um, I think Seth Godin does great work. Uh, he has a book called This is Marketing. Um, that's a beautiful book. I would highly recommend that. Uh, Ramit said these courses are amazing. There's another, there's a woman that I love, uh, Marie Forleo. Uh, I feel like she's doing good work in the world and she has a, a, a course or maybe a couple at this point. Um, I mean, let's just start there. Just the 22 immutable laws of marketing influence. Uh, this is marketing by Seth Godin. And then Sign up for Marie Forleo and Ramit Sethi's email list. And that right there is your whole education. And that should be enough information for you to then get started. Right. And, and I would uh, add, I mean, I'll add to the piece of getting started and then you can correct me if, if I uh, doesn't align with you is to go on Upwork and start bidding for gigs, start writing free articles um, for blogs that you like, submitting them for free, um, and ask for feedback. Uh, and once you get paid, you know you're moving forward. And then just work your way out from there. You don't need to know the rest. I would even, I, I, think, that's, I think that's wonderful. And I would even start uh, one thing uh, lower than that, which is start your own blog. Start your own thing. That way you can actually start putting your work out into the world and you don't have to ask for permission. Because with Upwork and writing for other people's blogs, there's still some level of kind of, needing to like have permission to do it right like you have to you have to do so i I love that idea but i feel like a starting place is read some of those books and the resources that you recommended and then uh start a blog write a couple of things see how you feel about it and then i would uh, also add to the blog piece that you have is um um learn something and write an article about it and share with people and that's the content of your blog and just do it medium yeah, beautiful. Yeah, that that that's also wonderful. Go on Medium; it's free. You don't. Uh, I think I think it's free, um, and anyone can post an article there. I don't even know at this uh, at this point. Um, but yeah, that's that's a that's a great piece of advice too. Is like you want the least amount of gatekeepers and the least amount of uh, hoops to jump through in order to get something out there. So yeah, that's huge. Okay, I'm just gonna because uh, we are running on time here. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions and you just top level hammering me through and I'm going to just be fast on it. Um, and, right. and you don't need to be fast. I, I'll be fast. Uh, okay. Why stop blogging? For the same reason, for the same reason that you, that I went into monk mode, which is to 
stop a pattern, get perspective on it, and see if, when, and how I want to re-enter and what I would do differently. So I am currently, uh, my, my good friend who we kind of built our careers in tandem at the very beginning, uh, Jason Langsdorf, um, people can Google him. He's like super, super, uh, influencer within the technology circle now. Um, so I feel honored that he's still doing my website, but he, uh, yesterday we just went through and, uh, updated my website. It's not live yet. I don't think. Um, but we're just made some changes to it. So I'm coming back. Um, and I'm going to start writing again. Yeah, man. But I needed a, I needed a seven or eight month break. I, I looked back at my old newsletter list. Uh, and I think I've maybe sent like 10 emails in the last like year and a half. <laughs> so this is, uh, I, I took a, I took a big break. Two per year, right? You were doing 42 per year before, isn't Something it? like that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Dating. Okay. Uh, okay. Well. Uh, this is good. No. Ask whatever you want. Yeah. You after a ten year relationship uh, that has uh, ended, you started dating again. Uh, uh, you wrote. Uh, I'm just gonna give high level because uh, I think it's just so interesting of what you say wrote in the email, and then you can expound on that uh, or what you learn about dating. So you've been both, uh, you've been on both sides of a crush. What? Yes. Okay. So this is a good thing to remember. Like we were talking about earlier, how like solitude and, uh, connection with people, they're not separate. They're just kind of like on a continuum. Right. And I feel like one of the best things that I learned when I, um, so I was in a 10 year long relationship, like you said, with a, a wonderful person and we, uh, broke up, um, geez, a year and a half ago, two years ago, almost now, two years ago. And, uh, I dated for maybe seven months, uh, before I met my now wife. And, uh, that was totally unexpected. Um, all of it was unexpected, but I dated for about seven months and it was crazy to date as a 30, like a early 30 year old person. Um, after being in a relationship for so long, like I got to really understand who do I want to be in a relationship? Like who am I as a person? I already felt like I had a good handle on that, but like I'm starting from scratch here. Who do I want to be? Who do I want to be with? What kind of person do I want to meet? So the crush and the, I know what it's like and I feel fortunate. I'm sure everyone has, I, I hope everyone can feel this in some level too, but I know what it's like to have people have a crush on me. Like it feels really good. It's like this, like uh, it's ego, but it's like, oh, people like me. And so I, I got to experience what that was like. And I got to experience when, when you're on, when someone's crushing on you and you don't really, you're not really as into them as they seem to be into you. Um, how do you treat that person? Like, do you just blow them off? Are you open and honest with them about your feelings? Do you just, are you just using them to boost your own ego and like you want to hear more and more about yourself, but you're never giving them anything back? Um, I think that's really interesting. And you don't really know the flip side of it until you're on the flip side of it, where you find someone that you're really interested in or you think you are, like you're attracted to them and uh, it's not reciprocated. It's like, holy shit. I'm not, 
Yeah, it's, it's, it's a weird situation to be in. And it's beautiful, though, because now you get the whole spectrum. And so you just become a better human being when you know both sides of the fucking story. What, what do you mean when you say uh, after the third date, uh, you will know if uh, the first date, you will know if you want to see them a second date. And then after the third date, if you want to see them again, what do you mean by that? Okay, yeah. So I said, uh, I think, yeah, the quote was like, uh, after the first date, you'll know if you want a second date. After the second date, you'll, was it the second date you'll know if you ever want to see them again or the third date? The third and then the third if you want to see them again. The third date. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like three meetings with a person, you get to kind of uh, see who they are and how they how they think about the world and how they operate within it. And um, I didn't. I didn't always take that to heart. Like I, 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 I dated a couple of people that like during that seven month period and I was very open that I was openly dating other people and, uh, there, there were no like actual relationships, but there were some things that kind of got on the cusp of being a relationship and they shouldn't have. Um, it's like, I kind of led them on a little bit too long or maybe they led me on a little bit too long. And so I just feel like after three dates, if, if you are actually being open and candid with that person and you're, you're being vulnerable and being yourself, you get a sense of who they are and how they think about the world and where they're going. And I think that's a good enough time to kind of make a decision. All your quote is like, like so cryptic. <laughs> Cause what it really means is, is after the third date, um, you should know whether you want to be, uh, going on for the ride with this person or not. Uh, then you should let the other person know. And, and that's kind of it. Right. But, but, I need to get my answers to be as succinct as your questions then. So yes, after the third date, you just know if you want to be with him or not. If you're being honest with yourself. I will guess your answer and then you say if it's right or not. <laughs> okay, so you wrote a red flag a red flag for a reason. And I, and I think that goes to means that uh, you have planted some red flags before and then you, um, you didn't, you know, you, 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 you violate your own uh, red flags. Is that what I meant by that? Yes. Okay. <laughs> you see what I did there? I just answered your short question with a short question or short answer. <laughs> Personal representative. There's no need to be you amplified. So it kind of feels to me like you don't need to sell yourself too much. Just be you. Yes. Okay. Um, there's no, yeah, there's no, there's, there's no need to put on a show for people um, and try to uh, when I said, when I said there's no reason to be me or you amplified, it means like we're always trying to make a good impression on people. Right. And for me, I kind of have this performative aspect to my genetic makeup or the way I am in the world sometimes. And so I just realized that there were some times where I was just kind of like, amping it up a little bit and, and making my personality bigger than it actually was in order to influence a person and make them like connect with me or like me better. I just realized it wasn't necessary and it was kind of fabricated. Yeah, I think that, I think that, that one's a hard one. Um, um, and I think one can only get to where you are if um, there's a lot of people that like them enough so that they feel their own self-worth that they don't need to put on a show anymore, I guess. You have the option. Um, what do you mean by um, what's your intent here? Uh, and 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 I think what I think what you mean is firstly you need to ask yourself that question before yes. you, uh, before you can then 
uh, not hurt people and be, I guess, uh, straightforward uh, and not drag people on for too long, which goes back to your red flag, which goes back to your... Absolutely. Yeah, is my intent here just to meet someone and have a casual relationship with casual sex? Or is my intent here to... um, treat people with respect is my intent here to find a, someone I want to be in a long-term relationship with. So yeah, it's, it's good to know your intentions ahead of time because then you can actually, uh, stay in line and be honest. You know what I mean? And I, and, and I think I'll add to that is, uh, it's, it's okay not to know your intent as well. And I think that can be the exploratory mode and your intent could be, I'm here to know my intent. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Especially when you just—I mean, for me, especially when I first started dating, after having not done it for ten years, I didn't know my intent other than I. Well, my intent was let's have some fun. Right. <laughs> um, the, the, is the reason why you say most desire is soft after mas- uh, masturbation is to tell people that look, um, if you if you don't like casual sex, why don't you try masturbating? It, it solved the same problem. <laughs> uh, my thing with that was like. Um, if you're being honest with yourself, if all you want is an orgasm, do you? it's nice to have that with another person, especially if you're really attracted to that person. But on some level, if you're just, for me at least, it was like, if all if that's the only thing I'm going for and I know this other person wants more out of it than that, and, I, and if I'm being honest with myself, they, they want something deeper and more complex and like an actual beginning of a relationship. If I'm not willing to give them that, then... I owe them uh, to not connect with them again just to have sex because I'm doing them a disservice and it feels bad ultimately. So then you can just masturbate. I don't know if you have an answer for this, but how do you think of um, the word love and coupling um, yeah. Yeah, the relationship between these two words? This is going to be a really touchy-feely answer, but I, 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 I believe it. I feel it and believe it wholeheartedly. I feel like love is uh, everywhere. I feel like um, I feel like love is an act and it's a way of being in the world. And so I think there's romantic love, there's brotherly love, there's uh, familial love, there's love of a, a company or an organization. You can say. But I feel like love itself is just a way of being in the world and a mode of perception. It's the way that you it's the way that you go through life. And I feel like life itself is very loving because it kind of anything can happen in life. And when anything can happen, like what what better way of uh what better example do you need that there is real love in the world, even when there's hate in the world too, even when there's a lot of bad shit happening, which is kind of happening right now, even when there are things that are deplorable. Like it's all, I think, on some level, and I don't know if people can get there uh, with me right now, but I think on some level, my experience shows that love is at bottom who we really are and um, everything kind of happens within it, but it all kind of comes back to love. And when do you think is a good time to couple up? When it's unavoidable. <laughs> okay. Same as starting a business then. <laughs> well, I'll, 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 let me share something with you really quick. This is, uh, we mentioned my friend Joshua earlier. And uh, when I 
um, I went down to LA and we, uh, we filmed a podcast about breakups actually that people can find if they Google, uh, my name or the minimalist breakups, they'll find this episode. And, um, uh, after we filmed everything, we just talked and I was telling them my plans for dating and I was going to go to Thailand for a while and I wasn't sure what I was going to do after that. Um, and I kind of had this, like, I'm like, well, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. And he said, he gave me great advice. He said, just be open to anything happening. Just don't just be open to any possibility. And that was beautiful advice because I didn't think that I wanted to get into another long-term relationship right away. And I didn't. Um, but I dated, I met, uh, I, I dated, uh, some really cool, beautiful women. And I met, uh, who this person is now my wife. And I didn't, think I would ever get married. I was in a 10 year long relationship and didn't think I was going to get married. Um, we decided that we didn't want to, and I didn't know that I was going to jump into a relationship this quickly, uh, quickly with quotes, but I don't know it. I was open to it and I'm so glad that I was open to it because I would have closed off a really beautiful thing. If I, if I was like trying to keep on the straight and narrow track that I thought I had to be on, like life is open. You can't, it's, it's, it's one thing to have goals and a narrow focus, but if you're not open to feedback from the world, then you're closing yourself off. And I think that leads to bad results. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, it's, it's, it's a hard, uh, it's a tight rope to walk uh, over there. Uh, I think also because by default, if you have goals, you are necessarily making decisions or like putting blinders on, right? Yes, absolutely. This is a... What's the, uh, this is a different quote, but uh, it kind of relates, but it's a strong opinions loosely held. And so it's like, you know, strong, strong goals, but they're all alterable. They're, everything is changeable. That's right. Um, how do you build your compass uh, for to choose projects? Like how do I decide which to, what to work on? Yes. Hmm. Yeah, building my compass has been, I mean, it comes down to, for me, it came down to self-reflection, which meant meditation and kind of being alone for a while and seeing what was really important to me in my day-to-day -day life and who I wanted to, the kind of person that I wanted to be. And, uh, and then from my, in my place, it was looking at the work that I've done before, um, throughout my career and going, okay, what do I, what did I enjoy doing? Um, what do I want to do more of in the, uh, more of in the future? Like, I, I don't think I'll ever just write a random article to make money anymore. Like I, I'm thankfully I'm, I'm lucky I'm in a position where I don't have to like hustle my ass off to, uh, write freelance articles to make money. Like I, my job with precision nutrition pays me well. And if I decide I want to write something for men's health or write, write a book, um, or anything like that, have that opportunity. Uh, so I'm only going to work on things that at this point, my criteria is, I mean, shit, you can't read it right here, but I have this whole whiteboard. Let me, I'll, I'll read you part of it right here. Cause I keep this. Keep this open. Um, I'll just, all right, this is just for me, but here's what I put up there. What's most important is unconditional love, truth, fun, contemplation, rest, openness, movement, nature, 
and sharing with others. And then I have what are my gifts, connecting with people and writing. And I have a lot of opportunities and avenues with which I could uh, share my writing and work on things. And uh, yeah, now I'm just trying to think like if I spend time working on something, the Everyman article is a great example. If I'm going to spend my time working on something, uh, it better be something that has a big potential to help a lot of other people. And it has to be something that challenges me on a deep level where I have to become a better writer and a better person as I go through the process. Mm. Okay. Well, I think that uh, you alluded a little before about revitalizing uh, the blog. <laughs> so how yeah. is it different now? Uh, with design, uh, writing. Yeah, what changed? Oh, and I why? don't even know yet, dude. I haven't even done Oh, it. okay. Um, well, no, this is, this is good though because... So the design is, I mean, it's very simple, very, very, very simple. Um, yeah, very simple and stripped down. Uh, it's kind of got a Zen feel to it. Um, Cut is already simple now, by the way. So I, I, I yeah, don't know what's going to be. It is. Um, it's less, I guess it's kind of less marketing driven. Like I don't have, like there's a, there's a place to sign up for my newsletter um, that's on every page, but it's not like a, like a, put your name and email here and you'll get a free thing or whatever. It's just, it's very simple. And, uh, I don't know for me, blogging was always performative. And I think on some level it has to be like, I'm trying to, you know, Brian, here's what I can say because I'm, I'm stumbling through this because I'm trying to figure out, like, I still don't quite know what it is myself. And so it's hard for me to give an answer, but I'll, I'll say this. Um, right now, my blog is just a passion project. It doesn't need to lead anywhere. It doesn't need to make any money. It doesn't need to do anything other than be an, uh, an expression of uh, the things that I'm learning and the way that I want to, uh, the way that I want to write and work. So I think I may end up writing some shorter essays. I may end up writing some small takes or thoughts or poetry on certain topics. Um, I may put an interview up every now and then. I just think it's going to be, I, I think it's going to be very personal still, but probably a little less personal than I've been in the past where I'm like always talking about my experience and what's happening. I think it's going to be maybe a little bit more practical philosophy and uh, share some of the things that I'm struggling with and what I'm thinking about. Um, so I don't even know how that's going to work or what form it's going to take. I haven't written a damn thing for it yet, but um, soon, very, very soon, next week or two, I'll, I'll have it up. So there we go. <laughs> uh, well, let's, that's a good place to, uh, wrap up, I think. Uh, and I really enjoyed this conversation and just your, uh, um, candidness, uh, I think, uh, uh with me. And I think people who are listening could appreciate it, uh, as well. Um, yeah, we'll let you have, uh, go on with the rest of your day. Uh, have a very good, uh, morning and the rest of the day leading up yeah yeah and i just want to say really quickly too um you and i have talked quite a few times through email and i'm just super impressed with everything that you've done and the way that you're living your life and i just want to give you a congratulations uh for everything that you've accomplished and the path that you're on right now it's just it's really cool to see you uh exploring and learning and and, and doing creative things and 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 connecting with uh cool people 
and uh, I just wish you the best. And I, I'm really honored that you wanted to talk with me here. Yeah, no, definitely. And uh, I, yeah, well, I guess if you are coming to uh, Singapore, I'd love to invite you to the dinner table and I have a break bread together. Yeah. What's, What's up, people? It's over. Well, as usual, all show notes, links, books can be found on the website, brianvictor.com. Again, thank you so much for giving me your time and listening to this episode. I hope all of you guys out there are having a fantastic week ahead. Thank you.